Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the DBR Duke Basketball Report podcast for this week. Uh, Today is Sunday, January 18th. I am your host, Jason Evans. You know me on the DBR bulletin boards as Jason Evans. I know that's a mystery. Uh, I'm joined by my usual cohorts this week. Uh, Donald Wine, say hello to the great teaming masses out there. What's up, Duke Basketball Nation? And Sam Klein. Hi, everybody. I'm Sam Klein. Excellent, excellent. Well, gentlemen, we were just uh, we were just saying offline a moment ago, the whole tone of the Duke fan nation, the whole tone of this podcast changed just a little bit in the past twenty four hours, didn't it? Oh yeah, I'm thinking. I, I would say you know, no. I like a couple you know days ago it was, you know, what happened to our team, and now we're kind of asking, what is this team, and who is this team, and who are we? Uh, absolutely, you know. I, it's one of the more remarkable weeks in Duke hoops that we've had in quite a while. If I told you that Duke would go one and one in a week when we had a home game against an unranked ACC team and a road game against one of the top five or so teams in the nation, you wouldn't have been surprised. But the way it happened really did surprise us. Now, I I don't want us to talk just about the zone and just about Louisville. I want us also to, to hearken back to earlier in the week when all of us were despondent. Um, uh, after the Miami loss, Duke's second loss in a row, Duke lost at home. Um, I think Duke hadn't lost at home since the, uh, uh, the, the first Bush administration or something like that. It feels like it had been a, a tremendously long time. Uh, Donald, I know you're a huge Miami fan um, uh, or uh, you know someone who follows the Miami team. Started off, how surprised were you by what we saw against Miami? Yeah, I, I mean, very surprised. Um, I think, you know, earlier, a couple of weeks ago, you know, we were saying that for Miami, they needed to play well against the teams they only play once during the conference season for them to really have a nice resume. But I didn't mean for them to do that against us. Uh, I was very shocked at how that game transpired. Um, Angel Rodriguez with 24 points, you know, he seems to want to play in the big time venues and he seems he has big time games. Um, in those venues. So Cameron, he, he had mentioned before the game that he wanted to really show out in Cameron. And I, I would say with 24 points, he did that. He was spectacular. And Lacombe off the bench with 23 points was really the, it was really the answer that we didn't have. Um, I, I don't understand where that came from. He's not really the guy that kind of uh, torch uh, teams off the bench, but he somehow did that against us. And it seems like, you know, Jim Laraniega has, has our number when it comes to game planning. He he probably that was probably the best game plan for uh, an opposing team against us that I've seen in a long time. Um, he kind of had the blueprint of how to how to beat us with guard penetration um, and you know hot shooting didn't didn't uh, uh, didn't affect them either. So um, I think that it was a shock to see how we responded to that, and um, I think it was just kind of a week a game that you wanted to put behind you. Uh, but you kind of really were thinking about it the whole week. Yeah, you know, you mentioned LeCompte. Um, so he had scored a grand total of 19 points in his previous five games. That's less than four points per game. Uh, he had two games in his previous five where he didn't score a single point. In his previous seven games, he attempted exactly one free throw. That's right. He had one free throw in his last seven games against Duke, 23 points, and he shot 11 free throws. I, I mean, this to say it came out of nowhere – uh, is doing a disservice to the word nowhere. <laughs> yeah, no, he was out of this planet. Yeah, so Sam, Sam, give me your one minute on the Miami game, and then we're going to turn to more fun things. Um, the uh, 
you know, obviously Miami was hitting every single shot that they wanted to hit. Um, you know, they, they were 50% from, from beyond the arc. And, uh, and as you noted, they have LeCompte, you know, taking all these shots the guy never the guy never ever shoots and then and then you know right after that against Notre Dame he he I think he only scores three points um but I wanted to kind of look at our offense um it you know it felt like it was much much more stalled um even when when Okafor was out there it seemed like he was getting the ball far away from the basket he was getting he was getting pushed out to the perimeter uh and it shows in his stats he only went six for 13 it's it's uh one of his worst games of the year offensively and you know, as if, if he's not able to create, then no one's able to create. And it, it felt like our offense like couldn't get anywhere uh, against Miami, and and even at home, where normally you know we're we're so good, and the and the crowd is is able to fire us up. Um, it never felt like we were able to score in this game. You know, I hate to play the cliche game, but defense feeds offense, and and I think that's what we saw. Duke was so bad on defense. Um, when the game started to get away from us in the second half, we started pouting. We started complaining about no calls on offense. The whole demeanor of the team was terrible. I, I, it wasn't a Duke team. It wasn't the kind of Duke team I like to root for. They didn't seem to be on the same page. They didn't seem to be lifting each other up. Um, uh, you know, it was everything that you fear uh, about a young team with um, some guys who maybe have NBA aspirations and things like that. Uh, I, I I didn't like what I saw, but like I said, let's put all that behind us because let's move on to uh, I think one of the most surprising games I've seen from the Duke Blue Devils in many many a year. Um, uh, we went into Louisville. Uh, not only did we beat the pants off of them, but we did it by playing zone. Uh, uh, shocking! Uh, this is just this is something that we have not seen. I don't think I've seen Coach K play that much zone one game in in his career. I've been and I, you know, I was a Duke fan back in the early '80s when I first went to the school. Uh, and then, in fairness, we should note it, it was a matchup zone, um, sort of like a man to man within a zone. Um, and we didn't play a hundred percent zone. Probably my bet is it was about eighty or ninety percent. There were I saw some possessions that looked like they were man to man possessions. Uh, uh, Sam, let me ask you. You know, is it possible to talk about this game and not? Talk about the shock that was Duke playing a zone defense and playing it really well. I think the only thing that you could say about this game other than that was that, man, Louisville really can't hit their threes, but that's the whole point of why we were playing in the zone in the first place. Uh, so, no, I, I, I really think the story of the game is the defense we played. And, and on the discussion board there, you know, we, we do a, uh, a man-of-the-match poll at the end of every game. And, um, you know, usually it'll end up being whoever scored the most points or, or someone who sort of came out of nowhere um, to, you know, play out of their shoes this week. You know, for that game, it was Emil Jefferson. But a lot of folks noted that the player of the game was really Coach K for, for throwing in that defense. And, um, you know, hardcore Duke fans uh, like, like you guys and like me um, can, can laugh at it and say, you know, people have been asking for this for years for us to throw in a different kind of defense just to, change it up um and and finally coach kate does it and it's almost like a wink to all the to all the fans who, who scream for it um i was really impressed with the way they played it you said that they you know it looked like they knew what they were doing in that defense even though you know i think we experimented with a, with it a little bit um against some lesser opponents at the beginning of the season but yeah we we never see it against 
against high quality opponents, especially someone as good as Louisville. You know, we're not going to you know change our whole defensive philosophy in in for one game, but we did, and and it totally worked too. I mean. We had Louisville shooting all these terrible outside shots and, and shots from 18 feet, 19 feet that, that weren't going anywhere. Um, so, yeah, huge kudos to, to Coach K for making this, you know, incredible uh, shift in his philosophy midway through a season. And for a team that outside of last week hadn't done anything wrong yet, um, it, 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 was a, it was a little stroke of genius uh, from our Hall of Fame coach. Yeah, he might know what he's doing. Um, uh, Donald, g- give me give me your impressions, and, and try not to use the word zone. Uh, I will try not to, but it's it's kind of hard not to. I mean, you know, looking at Louisville's offense yesterday, they started out actually kind of hot. They made their first three pointer, they made their first inside basket, and they were you know feeling like they could you know put some points on the board. But over the course of the game, to shoot. They shot 29% from the field, and they shot 16% from three-point land. And this is a shout-out to all my friends back in Detroit. That's what we call Josh Smith shooting. That is awful. And for that to be, you know, a, a packet-in type defense that we've last seen before back in 2010 when we kind of had a similar defense, but it wasn't so much of the, you know, 1-2-2 two, two or the 2-3 or the that we saw um, a lot during yesterday's game. I think that was absolutely phenomenal for us to come out in that defense and really just change everything. You know, I, I know Louisville didn't prepare for it. We didn't prepare for it. So um, I think that was very, very key to us feeding, like you said earlier, you know, our, our defense kind of spurs our offense. And the fact that we were getting them, uh, we actually gave them some offensive rebounds, but they still couldn't make baskets. And that was encouraging our offense to go out long, make a lot of transition baskets, get a lot of and ones, uh, leading into TV timeouts and getting uh, stealing a huge amount of momentum away from that crowd. Yeah, the the crowd never got into the game. Uh, I'll tell you that the moment that I knew that Duke was in good shape, we went to halftime. Um, we had a ten point halftime lead, and I, I'm fairly sure, if I remember correctly, uh, Jalil Okafor had four points. And and I went, Louisville's in real big trouble because he's not going to finish with four or eight points. Um, I, I want to point him out for a moment. He finished with 18 points. Whatever he wanted to do, the first 10 minutes or so of the second half, whatever he wanted to do, he did. Uh, and he was the dominant national player of the year kind of guy that we expect him to be um, in, in that you know first stretch of the second half when the game went from a 10-point game that could have maybe been a little in doubt to a game that was no longer in doubt at all. And then I can't talk enough about um, Emil Jefferson not just his scoring and his rebounding, uh, but his effort, his leadership. He was pumped up. He played hard the whole game against Louisville. He was mad up against the Cardinals All-American, Montrez Harrell, um, and, and he battled him you know, tooth and nail the whole way. Yes, Harrell and the other big men for Louisville got a, a pretty fair number of offensive rebounds, but if there was anybody battling them inside, making sure that even after they got the offensive rebound, they didn't get a good follow-up shot, it was Jefferson. I, I thought... I thought that was probably his best game in a Duke uniform. Um, really, really nice. And, and then I also wanted to mention Tyus Jones, who had a really nice bounce-back game. Tyus has struggled tremendously thus far since the calendar turned, I, I feel like. Um, he, he's, he's struggled to have a really great game. He had eight assists, some of which were just gorgeous dimes that he dropped. Um, he didn't get bullied nearly as much as I feared he would against Chris Jones, who is a really strong, really tough matchup. 
Um, and, and he and Jones had five turnovers. Jones didn't have a great game, and, and Tyus did. And and that's you know, as the point guard goes, so goes the team. Um, let, let me get you. I want to follow up about one other thing regarding that game and get you guys' opinions on this. Um, ESPN's Dana O'Neill had a nice column up um, on ESPN where she taught shed some good quotes about the zone and and uh, uh, you know and how how Duke came about doing that. But she also talked a bit about the burden that the Duke players have been feeling lately. Um, they haven't been enjoying the game. Quinn Cook had a had a, a quote where he said um, the team had a, a chip on its shoulder. Um, early in the season, but they started feeling lots of pressure to be perfect. And I think there was a burden on these guys to get K to his thousandth win as quickly as possible. Do you think the thousand win thing is a, a problem for Duke or had been a problem for Duke and for the players? Uh, Sam, why don't you go first on that? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of it, especially because, um, you know, leading up a few weeks ago, that thousandth win was supposed to be, you know, if we had stayed undefeated was going to be in this game against Louisville. Um, and and the players were really nervous about, you know, making sure that that was the game. And that was going to be, you know, national TV, ESPN. You know, it's at a marquee opponent. It's against a marquee, you know, Hall of Fame coach. Um, I think a little of that pressure is going to die down now, even though they still haven't gotten there yet. Um, the fact that it's not going to come against this, again, you know, in this enormous game that everyone's going to be watching, I think probably makes it a little easier to deal with. Um so, yeah, you, you can totally tell. I mean, um, against, against Miami and a little bit against NC State, um, you saw that, that, bod, that, that, excuse me, that bad body language, and um, they really cleaned that up in this game. I think that having, you know, having to think about something so different as this, you know, as this zone defense um, probably took their minds a little bit off of, off of all that pressure. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that now it's, it should happen, you know, over the course of the next two games, um, and and they're going to just feel very relieved about it. But I think the biggest stress of it is passed, even though the milestone hasn't passed yet. Donald, do you got anything to add on that? Yeah, I, I, I don't want to go so far as to say that it's a problem, because I think if you ask any of the players, I don't think they would say that. But I do think that it's something that's on their minds. It's on everybody's minds. It, you know, every time ESPN leads with a Duke highlight, it starts with, Coach K with 990 whatever wins uh, entering today, and then they show the highlights. So it's it's out it's out there. It's not it's not something that they can avoid, and it's not something that as a team they can say we're not going to talk about this because everybody's talking about it. So I won't say I won't go so far as to say it's a problem, but I do think that a lot of that outside pressure, the outside influence, has caused them to be distracted a little bit. And in in the game, I'm sure it pops up in their minds that oh no, we're costing whatever a chance, you know, we're costing a chance at, at this being the game or getting it out of the way as quickly as possible. But um, I do think that this week they, they, they hunker down, they have a quick turnaround against Pitt and, and then St. John's next weekend, um, which is a tough road game um, in New York City at the Garden. That's going to be the game, um, hopefully, where we get it done. And that way they can put it behind them. But I do think that this week they'll be able to settle down and they're going to have five days after Pitt to kind of Get get everything underneath them and and really focus on St. John's. Uh, what are you doing, man? You're jumping ahead here. You're already under the previews of next week's teams. What's going close. on? <laughs> hey, it all it all it all feeds, it, everything feeds together. 
Exactly, exactly. That, that is such a natural segue that I think we're going to move on and do our previews of, of the upcoming opponents. Um, we've got Pitt on Monday night. We're back in Cameron. Um, I like the fact that uh, it, for a quick turnaround game like this, Saturday, Monday, that, that we get to be the team at home and Pitt gets to be the team that travels. Sam, you, you looked at the Panthers a little bit. Uh, tell, me, tell me what we got there. Yeah, sure. So uh, Pitt also has a short turnaround. They played on Saturday as well. Um, so we're both going to have to deal with that issue. So no, no complaining on the forum this week about the short turnaround against Pitt. Um, but uh, so Pitt obviously joined the ACC last year. Um, they're coached by the man with uh, one of the most incredible heads of hair in the ACC and, and in college basketball, Jamie Dixon. Um, last year against the Panthers, we went up to Pittsburgh and just had an awesome game. Uh, we shut down their their big scorer, Lamar Patterson. We won by like 15. And uh, that game, you know, I think to that point was one of the big highlights of the season prior to our to our games against Syracuse, which obviously were a lot of fun. Um, this year, Pitt is not as good as they were last year. They are probably not a tournament team. They're ranked 89th in Ken Palm, um, and they don't really do anything especially well on either side of the ball. Um, they don't have any marquee wins, uh, although they've had two recent wins in the ACC against powerhouses, Georgia Tech and Florida State, both of which were at home. Um, so, you say, Pitt doesn't do anything especially well. They do have a couple guys from last year uh, that are returning that, that are productive players. Uh, they're led by uh, sophomore forward Michael Young. Uh, he's a pretty good shooter. He doesn't shoot it from deep, um, just inside. Um, so, he and he knows his way around the, around the rim. Um, he probably gets matched up with, with Okafor or uh, Jefferson. Um, so look for them to go at him because uh, he's their he's their best scorer and he only scores 13 and a half points per game. Um, they've also got uh, your guard James Robinson is the is the point guard. Uh, he's averaging 10 points and and nearly five assists a game, um, but he really can't shoot it. He's only 25 percent from three, 38 percent in total from the field, uh, and he's getting worse at shooting than he was last year. Um, there isn't a ton to say about this Panther squad. Um, they're you know, they don't have any big highlights from this season. Uh, so I expect that Duke is going to um, feel the need to win this one at home and, and do it big and, and feeling confident after that uh, that game against Louisville. Um, have you guys seen anything of the Panthers this year? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've seen a little bit of Pitt. I haven't seen too much of them. But I do know that, you know, uh, one thing that I would be interested to see is how Jalil Okafor um, takes on Michael Young. Um, he shoots 51.7% from the floor, and he's kind of their their guy, their go-to guy when it comes to points, you know, at 13.7, and he grabs 7.8 boards a game. So um, that's going to be a nice matchup for, for Okafor, especially with the short turnaround. I'd like to see um, how our interior defense works um, against him and to limit his, uh, his shot taking. Um, and I think that's going to be not one of the keys, but I think it's going to be a very interesting battle to see because I think Okafor is better than Young. Uh, but he could cause some problems for him. You know, the thing that jumps out to me about Pittsburgh is they're not a very good shooting team. They're not a great rebounding team. They don't score a lot of points, 67 and a half points a game for them, um, which is, you know, not, not, not a big number. Um, it may be tough for them to keep up with Duke. Um, they don't shoot a lot of threes, 13 threes a game. They only hit them at a 33% rate. It's okay, but nothing special. Um, you know, I really wonder uh, how this pit team is going to put enough points on the board to to beat a Duke club. But I, I want to move on 
um, to what I think will be a, a much more compelling matchup against St. John's. Um, and let me tell you a little bit about St. John's because I've, I've done a little bit of digging, a little bit of research on these guys. Uh, you know, as recently as New Year's week, um, this looked like it could have been a really, really big matchup for Duke. Uh, St. John's was as high as number 15 in the AP poll. They won 11 of their first 12 games. Their only loss to two Gonzaga. There's no shame in that at all. They had a really nice win at Syracuse. Probably looked a little more impressive then than it does now. Syracuse has struggled a bit, you know, but at the time we were like, wow. Um, and then, uh, you know, like the new year turned and the wheels came off for a little bit. They lost their first three games in Big East play uh, game at Seton Hall. Then they lost a pair of home games to Butler and Villanova. Villanova spanked them by almost 20 points. I mean, losing to Villanova, Villanova is the class of the Big East. That's not that big a deal. But, yeah, you know, Butler, uh, uh, you know, and, and the bloom really came off the St. John's team. Um, they did right the ship with a pretty nice win at Providence. Uh, earlier, uh, just a few days ago, um, although it, it was an unusual game for them, they they shot really, really well from outside and hit a lot of three point shots, which is pretty unusual. But um, I, this is a tough opponent for Duke. They're going to be geeked up for this game. They're ranked number twenty seven by Ken Pomeroy. Um, seem like they seem like the kind of team that Duke would probably face in you know the round of thirty two, second round of the NCAA tournament. Um, in terms of style, St. John's is not a team that shoots the long ball a lot. Um, they're actually 280th in three-point shots per game in the NCAA and only get 22% of their points from three, which is one of the lowest percentages in all of Division One. They aren't a great rebounding team. They're all right, but they are really good at two other aspects of the game. They block shots and they get steals. They're very quick to the ball. They average more than eight steals a game. They average almost seven blocks a game. And those figures are both among the best in the nation. And look, we remember how Duke struggled against NC State, which is another good shot blocking team. Duke, you know, got 10 shots blocked by NC State. I worry about St. John's and how they may be able to shut down our inside play, our slashing play by guys like Winslow and Suleiman with their shot blocking. On offense, yeah, the they, guy. Go, go, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say the, the other thing that I noticed that they do well is score inside, um, and so I'm curious to see if we try a little bit of that Louisville zone again against them um, because you know they're they're good around the basket and and they might be able to get us into foul trouble whereas some other teams have not uh, and that you know. We've lost a couple of games, but foul trouble hasn't been the problem yet. Foul trouble could definitely be a problem against St. John's. Well, yeah, and, and I'll add, you know, when I point out that they only get 22% of their points from three-pointers, they're still a pretty good offensive team. That means they're getting a lot of points right. off of two-point baskets. The, the guy to watch out for, by the way, is D'Angelo Harrison, who's going to go down as one of the great scorers in St. John's history. He gets more than 20 points per game. He has really nice touch on the perimeter. He is their all-time, St. John's all-time leading three-point shooter, which is a big deal. That's a school that has some real, real history. He's also their emotional leader. Um, you know how they say, if you cut the head off the snake, the snake dies. Well, he's the head of the snake. And I'm, I'm going to be real intrigued at seeing whether Duke does zone and lets him shoot over it a lot, or whether they, you know, try Rashid Suleiman or one of our other really good one-on-one -on -one perimeter defenders to, to shut him down. And then the other personnel thing I want to look at at St. John's is uh, Every time a team faces Duke, you have to wonder who are they going to use to stop Okafor. And for St. John's, for the Red Storm, it's a 6'10 junior from Nigeria, Chris Obekpa. 
Um, and he is a great shot blocker. He's arguably the best shot blocker in the NCAA. He was he led the NCAA in block shots as a freshman with more than four per game. This season, he's averaging 3.6 per game. He is a little bit foul prone. You can get him in foul trouble. Um, and he's a terrible, uh, by the way, he's not very good on offense. He's a terrible free throw shooter and he, he doesn't score all that much. But man, he will change your shots. He'll affect your shots. It's going to be really interesting to see how he does against what will be his biggest challenge in J- uh, Jalil Okafor. Donald, you got anything to add about St. John? Yeah, uh, I mean, one, I do think you were talking about uh, Harrison and, and, and his play. I, I look to see uh, whether Sheed and Matt Jones get a lot more playing time, especially when he's in the game. Um, I'm not sure that we, we change the starting lineup, but I do think Sheed's minutes go up because of his ability to be athletic on the defensive end. Um, I'll also note on, on, a more, on, a, uh, on a funnier note that St. John's has one, one guy on their team that has one of the best names in the history of college basketball in Sir Dominic Pointer. Um, but he is also a very good player and can also, uh, he's very long and can influence you uh, on the defensive end, especially around the basket. So that's someone to look out for. So Sir Donald, thank you for telling us about Sir Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> But by the way, one last thing to add about St. John's really quickly. They don't have much of a bench, and their bench suffered a little bit when um, one of the guys who'd been coming off of it, he was a starter earlier in the year, then he started coming off the bench. Jamal Branch suffered a hand injury. He has a bunch of stitches in his hand. It's hard to say whether he'll play against Duke or even how effective he'll be, but this could be a game where Duke maybe tries to turn up the tempo a little bit because Steve Lavin has been really reluctant to use anybody from his bench um, thus far this season. But let's put that behind us. Um, I'll, I'll, I, I'll say one more for St. John's that I, because I because I noted it in the in the pit preview, um, St. John's coach also is known for a great head of hair in Steve Lavin. Oh, Absolutely, un- unquestionably, he is well coiffed up top. Yeah, the uh, the Louisville Pitt St. John's run that we're on here has got to be intimidating to Coach K in that regard. Yes, very true. Although I will note somehow Coach K, even though he is pushing 70, he doesn't have a single gray hair on his head. And that's something he can be proud of from a uh, follicle standpoint. Certainly. Uh, I've, I've brought the thing to a screeching halt by saying that. So uh, <laughs> let, uh, I want to remind folks. I don't who, think uh, I, I, I frankly don't think that we get into the aesthetics of the coaches nearly enough on this podcast. So I'm, I'm all for it. There you go. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that support. Uh, hey, for, for those of you out there on the DBR boards, um, we did not have a board question of the week, um, uh, but we will have one this coming week. And for this coming week, it's going to be, uh, you know, Duke is playing its final out-of-conference game this season against St. Against John's. Um, so somewhat on a theme of that, we're going to ask you, who's the one non-conference team non-conference, not in-conference, one non-conference team you would want Duke to play every year. And of course, tell us why. Give us a good answer. And next week, we'll be highlighting some of the best answers on the podcast. Okay, guys, I want to move to our player of the week. Um, uh, Donald, why don't you start us off? Who who did you like best for Duke this season, this week? Well, I, I don't think is I don't think it's going to be a shocker here. Um, I'm sure some of you, both of you, may pick these, this guy. Mine is Emil Jefferson. Um, I knew we had a leader on our hands, but we're seeing his leadership improve with each possession on the floor. And this week, it's actually paid off on the stat sheet. Um, you know, 14 and 12 against Miami, he was one of our lone bright spots. Um, and against Louisville, he I think he really took his leadership to another level. Um, he had 19 points, seven rebounds. 
He really saved a lot of our possessions by grabbing keyboards, um, making baskets, and was kind of our floor general in the, this week. Um, so my vote is for Emil Jefferson. Good job, man, and keep it up. Sam? Um, on Emil Jefferson, I just wanted to say, did you guys see when Emil Jefferson took the ball at half court and then drove straight down the lane and went up for a dunk this week against yes. uh, against Louisville? Is yes. that a thing that he has ever done before? I've I've never seen him do it. I've never seen him do that. It it, it was I I was stunned when I saw that. By the way, I, I do want to point out that the dunk was not going to go in. He got lucky to get fouled. <laughs> he took yeah. off. To um, think, but. but but he's my he. I, I'm I'm going to have to agree with Donald. I mean, I I I want to pick somebody else. Um, but I don't think that anybody else this week really showed in both games um, that they that they came to play and that they were ready to play, except for Emil Jefferson. Um, you know, I think that he, you know, he's not averaging that many points this year, and a lot of his points, at least earlier in the season, are coming off of you know tip-ins and and things where it's not really his offense. Uh, in these last two games, he has taken the ball in creative ways to the hoop. Um, he hasn't just relied on on being open because he's he's you know, the least worthy offensive threat. Um, he's he's put the ball on the floor. Watching him <laughs> drive from half court and almost dunk straight down the lane um, was the most exciting part of the game uh, for me yesterday. Uh, and and also just the way that he goes after rebounds. Um, he's been he's been so effective in every way. And he really he and Justice Windlow really played well in that zone defense. Um, so if we're gonna have to go back to it at some point, uh, you know maybe against St. John, I I liked their positioning in that. Um, so, yeah, hats off to Emil Jefferson, my player of the week, and I would imagine Jason's as well. Yeah, we're going to make it a trifecta here. Uh, and and I don't think we've had one where all three of us agreed on the same guy as the player of the week um, yet, but but this was a very easy choice for all three of us, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Jefferson was obviously incredible. Let me just point out some stats that you guys didn't mention. He was a paltry 13 of 16 from the floor this week. That's 81.25% shooting. That's fairly efficient. <laughs> he had nine and a half rebounds. Somehow, despite playing 30 minutes per game with incredible energy and activity inside, he only picked up two fouls per game. I mean, I, the stats jump out at you, but to me, the reason he wins it is the leadership, the passion that he showed on the floor, uh, especially against Louisville. There was there was absolutely no way he was going to let the team lose. Um, uh, exactly what you want from your upperclassmen, an incredible, wonderful, wonderful effort from him. Um, and uh, there's there's no question that Emil Jefferson deserves to be the first-time um, unanimous winner of our Player of the Week for this week. All right, guys. Well, uh, that, that pretty much wraps it up. Um, uh, Sam, you got any parting thoughts for us? Sure. I, I, I noticed one thing. Um, we, we talked a lot about Emil Jefferson this week because, uh, obviously, he was, the, he was our unanimous Player of the Week. Um, but one of my friends, uh, who's also a Duke fan the other day, pointed out to me that Lance Thomas is still in the NBA, and not just still in the NBA, but he is currently the most productive player on his team. He, at least as of sometime last week, uh, was the only member of New York Knicks with a, with a positive plus-minus. Um, and coming into college, I remember a lot of folks comparing Emil Jefferson maybe to Lance Thomas, similar builds, um, you know, they can't, they, neither of them is really able to get out uh, and and shoot from from beyond the arc, um, but they're effective defenders. And and Emil Jefferson has has developed an offensive game that is is much better than what we saw from Lance Thomas uh, in college. So 
you know, he might not be a prototypical NBA player, but if I'm if I'm projecting Emil Jefferson to be a little bit more than Lance Thomas was, uh, and especially as he picks it up on the defensive end, uh, you could see him having a, a at least something of a of a short NBA career and certainly a productive pro career wherever it's going to be. Um, so I think that I think that we've seen his ceiling rise a lot this year, uh, especially compared to a a recent Duke player um, who had a similar game to him in college. Donald, you got any parting thoughts for us? Yeah, uh, you know, one, we guys, we are now finally on iTunes, and I can't be, I know we're all happy about it, and hopefully you guys out there are very excited, so uh, you guys can now subscribe to us on iTunes, and leave reviews, let us know how we're doing, and that also lets iTunes know that this is the best Duke basketball podcast in the land. I love it. I love that parting thought. Um, two quick things I want to mention, uh, as long as you were talking, Sam, you were talking about Dukies in the NBA. Um, uh Austin Rivers is now playing for his father. It's the first time a father and son combination has happened from a you know coach-player standpoint in the NBA. It's going to be kind of interesting to see how that turns out for the Clippers and how Austin does. Austin's had uh, you know certainly not the NBA career that he'd hoped to have so far. And, and at some point, we should we should really you know spend a little bit of time talking about Dukies in the NBA. There are a lot of interesting things going on there. Don't have room or time for it, nor did I do the research for it this week. But Sam, you reminded me of it, and we should talk about it sometime. And my final parting thought is, um, I am incredibly eager for us to get a thousand wins for Coach K behind us. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think the kids are burdened by it a little bit. Um, it's impossible not to project it. And I think projecting it makes you feel some pressure to achieve it. Earlier, we were guilty on this podcast of projecting it for the Louisville game. Now we're projecting it for the St. John's game. I mean, you know, counting stats like this are, uh, it's impossible not to look ahead. My dog just barked like crazy. That was an aggressive That was an aggressive Okay, wait a second. Counting stats like this, it's impossible not to look ahead and project when they're going to happen. But I hate doing it because I think, I think it then makes you feel like you have to achieve it at that counting point. And I'm really hoping that you know Duke can get it out of the way and and move on with this team trying to be the best team it can be, not trying to be the team that achieves something that Coach K has been building on for 30 plus seasons. And okay. I left everyone like si- I left everyone silent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we have, if we're, if we're talking about one thousand next week, that means that Duke had a great week, and that's really all that we should be worried about. Amen. I love that. That's a good way to, to leave it. So, I, the dog <laughs> I have to edit out the dog barks, but they're pretty damn funny. <laughs> <laughs> So with that final uh, parting thought, we are we are done here on the DBR podcast for this week. Guys, thank you very much again. I was joined by Sam Klein and by Donald Wine. Both of you say thank you at the, at the exact same time. Thank you at the exact same time. Oh, man. Oh, uh, see, yeah, see, one of you got it, the other one didn't. Uh, that's about it. Again, I'm Jason Evans. We'll be back here next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And let, we'll let the Duke basketball, oh, God, my dog is driving me crazy. I will let the Duke marching band take us home. Okay, we're done. <laughs> Your dog just wants to be in the podcast. That's all. He wanted, you know, if you've listened to them, you've heard him. He's he's made the podcast a couple times now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's fine. Uh, I think he adds a lot of great content. <laughs>
<laughs> I may leave the dog in. I may leave all of this in. <laughs> I, 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 it's not like it's not like we really got off the rails when he when he started barking. So it's okay. No, yeah. you're right. Okay, it's official. This is in the all. This is in the podcast. The dog is not dog, coming out. Your dog there will be no editing. Of, there will be no editing of the final ten minutes of the podcast. So <laughs> for those of you listening out there who are like, "What the hell are they doing?" <laughs> the dog stays in. And now, here's the Duke Marching Band. 